What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. This week's episode, The Storm of Fight Announcements. We'll be recapping Frankie Edgar versus Pedro Munoz at UFC Vegas 7. We'll be talking about the new Bellator light heavyweight champion, Vadim Nemkov. We'll be talking about the fight announcements. Spoiler alert, there were a ton of them. And of course, finish it off by looking ahead to Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakich this Saturday at UFC Vegas 8. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. Now I'm joined by a special guest co-host. This uh, person has worked several big events. You've seen him at The Scrap, My MMA News, and he recently authored a extreme in-depth profile of MMA pioneer Megumi Fuji. It is Mr. Drake Riggs. Drake, thank you for coming on. How are you? Gabriel Gonzalez, how we doing, buddy? <laughs> doing good, doing good. Thank you so much for that. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, wrapped up that piece recently. And, you know, now we're here just enjoying the aftermath. Got to think about what uh, what the next big project is. And, I mean, there's always little ones in there along the way, of course. But, uh, yeah, plenty of uh, topics and crazy things that have been happening uh, as in terms of recent fights, as you mentioned. So excited to dive in. Well, you know what? How we doing? This is the pro with Drake, <laughs> a.k.a. the schmo. I had to hit you with that. By the way, if you guys ever see him do it, you know, not on just audio, Drake Riggs may have yeah. the best schmo impression in the in the game besides, you know, the man himself. So The man himself. I, 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 I didn't I, go full out with it right there, but yeah. <laughs> seriously, I, I mean, you know, uh, this could be a very fun segment on YouTube, Drake. I'll, I'm just telling you. Yeah, I know. Well, man, look, you've you worked a ton of events. You cover a lot of stuff, UFC, Bellator. It's not just the big big names and the big shows. So we have a lot to talk about. I know you got a lot of knowledge. You've obviously been on my YouTube channel for the big preview shows. And thank you for making your podcast debut with me. Not uh, any podcast, yeah. but mine specifically, which is all the only one that matters. But, you know, that's another story. Um, Drake, man, we got a ton of stuff, so let's get into it. Uh, UFC Vegas 7 over the weekend. Sleeper card. I think a lot of people, when this one, especially when it lost Yo Romero, Uriah Hall, um, may have been just the week before. Then you had a couple last minute uh, scratches. OSP got pulled for COVID. Um, We wish him well. Both uh, mm -hmm. Daniel Rodriguez and Dwight Grant lost their opponents and ended up fighting each other, and that ended up being one of the best fights of the night. Um, it was just a very um, exceeded expectations. If you watched it start to finish, and it all culminated with the main event, uh, Pedro Munoz taking on Frankie Edgar in his Bantamweight debut. Uh, long fight. We could probably talk about X's and O's all day, but just what are your general thoughts on the way the main event played out? Yeah, no, I thought it was a very good fight. Obviously, one fight of the night. And, you know, just kind of the craziest thing to me is like Frankie Edgar, you know, almost 40 years old now. He's dropping down a Bantamweight for the first time. Like his his most real weight cut, I guess you could say, if that if that makes sense to put it that way. Like obviously he cut down to featherweight and everything as he started out at lightweight. But like he never cut weight for lightweight. He probably didn't cut too much for featherweight. Now he's, you know, cutting down to Bantamweight like it's nothing. And he looks great physically and all that. And uh, goes out there and, you know, they keep pace 
they each kept pace the whole entire fight. Didn't really slow down too much except for some moments here, like in the middle rounds from what I remember. But, um, yeah, very good back and forth fight. Obviously a close one. Um, but I do, I do not think Reiki should have won it. You know, if we're going to go right there to that, the, the end result, but, um, you know, very close not a robbery. Let's get that part out of the way too. Not a robbery. Uh, very, I think it was a good debut for him at the weight. Like obviously shows that he can hang with the top guy, even if you don't believe that he should have won. And obviously he did end up winning uh, on the judges scorecards, which is all that matters. So that puts him in a fantastic spot in a division that's already insanely talented and deep. Um, so it's like, man, it just makes that everything all that much more exciting at 135 pounds. Yeah, to me, this played out similar to DC versus Stipe without the eye poke and with a lot more volume. Is the fact that I felt like Pedro, just bigger guy, uh, really just when his shots landed, you could tell they were having more visible effect. Frankie has yeah. never been a home run hitter, but he was landing a lot of shots. He landed a lot clean, kept up the high volume. I say it every time I talk about Frankie Edgar. He's like your favorite flavor ice cream. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. You know exactly what you're getting. And to yeah. his credit, at Bantamweight, stayed the same. If anything, I will say this. Uh, and I understand that, you know, he's still getting acclimated to the cup most likely, but... When you think about the fact that Frankie Edgar is the former lightweight champion and how much bigger and stronger Pedro looked in there, I was still surprised. Like, I know yeah. he's never been a strack-jacked guy, but even then I was like, I'm sorry, Frankie, but this should not still be your issue by now, you know? And look, yeah. uh, th that's just how he's built. I mean, Clay Guida is, I think, a little similar, lightweight or featherweight. You know, he doesn't have the longest reach and he's not the tallest guy. And that just is what it is. Um, so for Frankie, one, I feel like he took a lot of solid shots from a heavy hitter. I think that's the biggest thing. And two, his cardio still looked good. He still kept up five hard rounds, which, you know, when you're depleting your body more for the weight cut, I think is a big deal. Uh, I, I'm, I agree with you. I thought Pedro was just a little bit more ahead for the same reason Stipe was a little more ahead a week ago. But, you know, Frankie Edgar landed a lot of shots. He kept up a great volume. It was a close fight. It was a competitive fight. I never like to say I like a split decision, but I will say that I think it reflected just how competitive this fight was. Pedro yeah. had a, landed a lot. He had good moments. He did damage, but um, he has a right to be mad. But I think that's another one. That was a pick em fight. It was really decided by a few punches either way. Just competitive throughout. So I'm there with you, though. I thought Pedro did just a little bit more to get the job done. But judges saw for Frankie, and that's not a big robbery by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, not at all. Um, it's really interesting, too, though, like, because I think that, you know, as you're watching it and everything, it's like, okay, Frankie, you know, he's he's generally a volume guy, as is, right? You know, he's always throwing out, you know, his kind of feelers and his combos to set things up. It's like, it's his faint combos to set up his actual landing combos and stuff like that. But then you look at, like, the stats, and they landed almost, or they threw almost the exact same number of strikes, which, I mean, at least according to the stats, but I don't think it looked like it. Like, Pedro seemed a little bit more reserved, and he was definitely, I thought he landed better just throughout, like, with his jab was on point, absolutely just laser beam for most of the fight. Um, and, you know, some really stiff ones that were damaging Frankie. And, of course, Frankie's jab was in there as well. But Pedro was a lot more effective with his. And the leg kicks, I think, were kind of the biggest weapon uh, throughout this entire fight for either man. And, I mean, obviously we saw Frankie kind of limping out of the cage at 
the end. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> but people don't really respect the leg kicks that Pedro Munoz has. And in that first round, he was really chopping away, which was like, it's like, oh, damn, we might see, you know, as you're watching, like, damn, is he going to be able to finish Frankie with leg kicks? But uh, he kind of abandoned it in the second round. And then third round got back to it a little bit. And we're like, OK, that's good. Obviously, you need to do that because you had so much so much success in the first round. And he incorporated a little bit of the rest of the way. And that was obviously a good idea. Um, I mean, even though he didn't get the win on the judges scorecards, but, you know, that, that gained points for me. <laughs> so um, a very good, effective weapon that he uses. And, you know, Frankie was working off of the back, like his back against the cage for most of the fight, too. Pedro had the pressure on. Not that the octagon control mattered, but it, that was a notable, noticeable thing that I was watching play out throughout the fight and where Frankie was uh, trying to circle away, but then he'd run into the leg kick or something. So Pedro did a very good job of cutting him off with that uh, when he threw it. So, um, yeah, I, I just think overall Pedro really, he was the more effective of the two strikers. Um, and it's just interesting to see the stats, how apparently, you know, the numbers were pretty even. But then you look at the the ones that did land for each guy and it's like, all right, who did better? That's kind of what it comes down to, I guess. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing I would take from it is I think there are a lot of questions about Pedro. I think that when you talk about the Cody Garbrandt fight, yeah, it was so fun, but you know, did it play out that way because Cody, you know, started really trying to throw down and something like that, you know? So I think that was the big question is that, you know, were people feeling that way that, oh, you know, was it a bit on Cody's part? And then the Aljo fight, Aljo really incorporated his length and reach and got it, got the job done there against Pedro. So was he that guy that could make the jump? I think this fight showed you exactly why he is as tough as he is. I think he's a very underrated player in the Bantamweight division. And even in a loss, his stock still goes up with this fight. And I think that's very notable. So I'm with you there in terms of the breakdown. It was very impressive to watch Pedro execute his game plan. And, you know, I think that a lot of that, that was a bit of that just classic New Jersey Frankie Edgar toughness that really, you know, really kind of saved the day for him in a lot of those big moments. So it was just yeah. quite the fight. Uh, before we move on to the, a lot of the other stuff, what's next? Um, for Frankie Edgar, I've heard people throw out Dominic Cruz. Not a bad fight, but I'll be honest. After the long layoffs for Dominic and coming off the loss to Henry, I just feel like he's a bit too far on the downswing. And I feel like Frankie Edgar at this juncture, especially at Bantamweight, He's a big name. You kind of want him going up. So I think for Frankie, look, this one doesn't get him a title shot unless something happens with uh, Aljo or um, Marlon Moraes and Corey Sanhagen is coming up. I could see him fighting the loser of Jan versus Aljo. I know he's good friends with Marlon Moraes, but if Corey Sanhagen wins, maybe that one, the winner of the, if Corey wins. But I just feel like... Um, yeah, I feel like the loser of Aljo and Jan makes the most sense. I think that schedule-wise, I think timing-wise, I think rankings-wise, I think anybody else, you're just, it's just, uh, you're trying to use Frankie to put someone else over, and I don't think that's in the UFC's plan right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There are so many options, like, I think the Sanhagen one would have been cool to go with next, but obviously because they were matched up previously, but obviously that's not going to happen now because of the Moraes fight being made, which is an amazing fight as well. Um, I love the Dominic Cruz idea for Dominic. I think that's a fun matchup, um, you know, that we 
kind of a fantasy, right? I mean, like historically, you know, think of the former Bantamweight King versus the Lightweight King. It's crazy to think that that's a possibility, finally, because people were kind of talking about it after, like, I remember when Frankie lost to Aldo, like, the second time, like, oh, you should go down and fight Dominic Cruz now. <laughs> like, like, geez, this has been talked about for a little bit, so that'd be cool to see, and I do think that would be uh, better for Dominic, honestly. Uh, but then we have, you know, uh, Rafael Sanzao is out there. Um, obviously, a guy coming off a loss. But Jimmy Rivera, who's got a win, I think that's probably the fight that I would go with. Uh, Rivera versus Edgar. I think that would be a very fun matchup. And, you know, Jimmy's kind of got back in the win column now. He's His his momentum died down a lot after um, the losing streak that he went on, which is kind of crazy because Jimmy was really, you know, getting up there at a point until Marlon Rice kicked him in the head, which, you know, it happens. But <laughs> now he's back <laughs> after that great win over uh, Cody Stamen. I think Rivera versus Edgar would be an awesome one. Um, but yeah, there's just so many options for for these guys at Bantamweight, like I was saying. You know, there's just those 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 groups of divisions now that we have, like strawweight, bantamweight, welterweight division. I mean, lightweight's always good. It's just like you can't go wrong with too many of these. But um in terms of, you know, what's best for both guys, I think that I think that Rivera Edgar might be the one. And I'm surely forgetting somebody as well because it's there's so many names at Bantamweight. Um yeah. I mean, anything that's not a Jose Aldo trilogy should be on the table, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we need to see that. Uh, I don't think they would really feel like it anyway either. But um, with Rivera, I think the big thing for that is timing. Because I think that if Frankie Edgar could get a bigger fish, he would jump on it. But um, mm-hmm. I think timing-wise, you're more likely to get an Edgar-Rivera fight before you get Frankie against one of the outliers that I had mentioned. So... That's my mm-hmm. big thing is that what ends up, you know, what's what's Frankie Edgar's plan? You know, does he feel like doing this cut again in the near future? Does he want to see what plays out? And then he tries to get the biggest fight he can for himself. Um, that's all on him. And we didn't get to hear from him yet. Um, following the fight, he obviously had to go to the hospital, get treated for the kicks. But um, yeah, I think it depends on him. And that'll determine how fast he wants to come back. And that will obviously determine who, where, why, you know, et cetera for him. So, but yeah, and then Pedro Munoz, match him up with a lot of good guys too. A lot of good options for him coming off of this one. Yeah, yeah, I like, I mean, I mentioned Rafael Asunzo. I think that could be a good one. I mean, yep. probably bigger upside for Asunzo, obviously. But then, you know, Aldo is out there too still, apparently. And you think about Aldo versus Munoz, like, damn, that would be a pretty good one too, just like from a from a style matchup. Um, I mean, you could even do Munoz and Cruz. I mean, the the limit. He's got a lot more options as trying to rebound now. I think than Frankie, because it's like, all right, you know, you have the official win, so you have your mind more set on something where it's like, all right, Pedro's probably going to take, you know, whatever the they give him just because of you know where things are. He's not really in that position to kind of put his foot down, I guess you could say. But um, yeah, I, I like if I had to pick, I mean, r- ranking wise. A sunset is probably that one that you go with for sure. Um, but, you know, I think the Aldo one would be the most fun, maybe, <laughs> of those options. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's another thing where, like, you just can't go wrong. But the one that I'd probably go with well, would be a sunset. I like a sunset. You kind of got to – that one's another one. It's on Jose Aldo. After being mm-hmm. in title fights, big fights for how long, cut down to Bantamweight, are you still feeling it to fight a guy like Pedro Munoz? That's the question, man. I don't know. But um, I, it would be fun. Oh, that yeah. would be a lot of fun. That would be just Bantamweight <laughs> damage. I like it. 
I, I, I'm not against <laughs> it, Drake. I want to make it clear. I'm not against it. <laughs> um, a fun night. Like I said, Daniel Rodriguez probably stole the show. Shauna Dobson uh, upsetting Agapova made a lot of noise. So quite the solid night of action in UFC world, which I think is big when you consider that they had... Um, you know, they're going up against everybody now. MLS, NBA is back. So I think that was a big deal in terms of just the sport. So mm-hmm. let's talk about Friday night, shall we? There's a new Bellator light heavyweight champion. Vadim Nemkov Jeez. shocks Ryan Bader. Um, you know, just that fight. I think my biggest thing, um, you got reminded the speed discrepancy at light heavyweight. I think that you were reminded just how versatile Nemkov is. He is a guy who incorporates, you know, all eight limbs. He throws punches, kicks, knees. He doesn't just throw them sparingly. He puts it all together. He's not afraid to try to take you down and pressure you. Um, Great pace in the fights that I've seen. Um, To me, Drake, I think that Ryan, I think when he couldn't figure out the timing uh, and then Nemkov made him pay every time he tried to come forward. That really was it. I think that Bader's entire offense fell apart after that. He couldn't find openings for his takedowns. Didn't feel comfortable trying to just, you know, run him down with a double. Uh, his mm-hmm. boxing just wasn't there after that. And what can I say? Just a dominant victory for Nemkov. Do you have anything to add in terms of the actual fight itself? I mean, yeah, pretty well said right there. I mean, the the big surprise to me, I guess, was, you know, as Bader was not being able to find success on the feet that, you know, he didn't just kind of throw everything out the window and just go for takedowns, just spam him, you know, like he's playing (laughs) playing the UFC video games or any MMA game where he just, all right, let's hit the takedown button only. Didn't even do that. I mean, just didn't feel comfortable. Like you said, it's probably the the best way to put it Um, because I think he only attempted really, you know, one and he did he did get that one in the first round. Um, and then after that attempted another, I mean, is what I was trying to say. Um, but yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Um, really surprised me. Not that I didn't think that Nemkov could pull this off, but the way that he pulled it off, you know, it was one of those things where, um, if you've been following this guy, you knew he was capable of doing this, but seeing him actually do it against somebody like Ryan Bader, who, you know, has been really just dominant in his last, what, like 11 fights or so at heavyweight and light heavyweight. Yeah, people will argue opponents and all that, but look at how much better the guy got since he was in the UFC. And as he was leaving the UFC, he left the UFC on what? It was a three-fight winning streak, and, you know, he was getting highlight reel knockouts with knockouts with knees over Lira Latifi. Like, <laughs> he had crazy wins as he was leaving. Um, and people still tried to knock the guy, but just a massive win and a very surprising win. Um performance-wise from Nemkov, I mean, beautifully done. Yeah, to me, I think that this was a good uh, indicator. Uh, Like you said, um, you said it perfectly, but people don't like to give Ryan Bader the credit. And I get it. He had a lot of those losses against the top guys who fought for the title in UFC pretty much, right? I I get that, Mm -hmm. but you got to remember the win streak he was on. Uh, Also, remember, like, who did he lose to and when? I mean... At Rumble, when Rumble was knocking out everybody, I mean, he pretty much ran into every guy at the height of their powers in the last decade in the UFC light heavyweight division when, you know, when they were on like ridiculous win streaks and killing dudes, right? Like, really. So when you look at the win streak he was on, um, even just the stuff at heavyweight holds weight, you know, even moving down to 205. This, Ryan Bader is not a pushover is my point. 
And Nemkov made that look very easy. And that is just a testament to the talent level. Uh, after the fight, like, look, I, I do believe that he would pose a lot of problems for a lot of guys in the UFC 205-pound division. I think that, um, look, there's just a lack of depth. And I always say this is like, look, Bellator has several guys and girls who are very talented, um, very good, can beat anyone in the world, not just Bellator on any given night. That being said, I think that the concentration of talent, it's just not as deep night in, night out in Bellator. And that's why they get a bit of the bad rep that they do. And look, UFC is such a big machine. It sucks all the air out of the room, right? I get it. You know, we've all been there. We don't need to get a long discussion. But yeah, for me, <laughs> Nemkov, really, he just, um, look, this, is, this dude's the truth. He's for real. And so I think that that just was a great breakout performance for Nemkov. So um, moving forward, I feel like they could do the rematch. Um, if not, I mean, if you're Corey Anderson, I think you do kind of like the idea of stopping the train of Nemkov coming in. If you're Ryan Bader, uh, it, I, I don't want to say it because he's just coming off the biggest win streak of his career, but... I, part of me does wonder, does he see a long road past this? I mean, you you got a double champ. It's kind of only down from there, right? The second you lose one, it's kind <laughs> of like, are you about to win both belts and do all this again? And look, the, this is just a testament. It's difficult for anybody. I don't see John Jones doing it if he were to beat Stipe tomorrow. You know what I mean? So yeah it's just such a temperamental thing that i wonder is he looking at stuff at heavyweight does he really feel like making the cut anymore to 205 at this juncture i really don't know and i think that he's gonna make that decision and he'll do what's best for him but in my heart right now unless he takes that rematch i don't think he's gonna go back to 205 again um if the rematch doesn't happen i think nemkov is gonna look at the Machida versus Davis winner before Corey Anderson. Yeah, I'm very happy that you just said that because I think that, yeah, you, you got to do, as Corey Anderson, he he's coming off that loss still to Jan Blahovich, right? So, I mean, just just my purest, you know, mind goes like, oh, you shouldn't give him the title shot. Sure, he's going to a different promotion and everything. You can, you can swing it that way, give him the immediate title shot. But I don't know, that doesn't sit too well with me. And especially when, you know, Davis has been winning since, um, you know, since the Nemkov loss, which I think that he beat Nemkov as well. It was a very close fight, um, but I think that Davis edged him out in that one. So, I mean, I would love to see that rematch, especially with five rounds. That would make it all the more interesting. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, if Phil gets past Machida, then definitely he could throw him, throw him in there. And, I mean, I guess they could make the argument for Machida if he takes out somebody like Davis. Um, and that's an interesting rematch in its own right, one from you know years ago that people thought was a, a robbery as well. But I think that Phil did win that one. I'm one of the few people who think that Phil rightfully got the win there against Machida. You, you're a big um, believer in Mr. <laughs> Phil Davis. You I think love he, some, you're thinking he's Mr. Wonderful right there. <laughs> yeah. Now look, he's, you know he's been around for a minute. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you real quick. Do you think that Bader will rematch Nemkov or do you think he moves up? <sighs> Mm, okay, so I think that as, as long, you know, you were saying, will he even go back down to light heavyweight anymore? And like, so as long as he has like the heavyweight title, I think he'll, you know, fight a heavyweight until he loses that. But obviously he'll have this immediate rematch potential um, on the table, I would imagine. And I think that a competitor like him and being in this spot of, 
you know, that was his first title that he had. Um, and now he, he lost it in really, you know, embarrassing fashion for that guy who was being argued as the number one light heavyweight now. And, you know, I, I firmly had him at number two behind John Jones uh, before Jones did his thing and vacated. Apparently, apparently we have, you know, he's leaving the division, I guess. <laughs> so, um, that, 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 that's, yeah. you, you missed that train, Drake. We can't go there again. That's another okay, podcast okay. episode. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> sure is, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think he'll want it. I mean, especially because of how it happened. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We will see. But just knowing that, just all the elements are surrounding everything, I, I think that he'll he'll want it. But will will they make it happen? I'm sure. If 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 you know, I think it'd be something that Bellator would be interested in. Why not? That'd be a big selling point. So, you know. I. I it's good. You know, it's another one. When you've achieved the things that a lot of these guys have, and we just talked, literally just talked about it with Edgar and Aldo and all of them, it really depends what are you in it for after winning all that hardware after so many years yeah. of competing for it. So I, I agree with you. I, I think that that appeal is right there. I think he likes that more than moving up to fight, say, Vitaly Minikov at heavyweight or yeah, Jim yeah. Johnson, someone like that. But once again, it's like, man, you know, like, what am I fighting for? I've already beaten Phil, maybe Machida, Corey Anderson, you know. It, Ryan Bader's mm-hmm. got a lot to think about. And, you know, but mind you, that's all on the point that he were to beat Nemkov in the rematch. As we've, as we've seen, that may not happen. So, really, yeah. what he chooses to do is going to depend on how... how how much more the tracks are left for his train, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he'll make those decisions. I mean, he still beats a lot of guys. Yeah. He still beats a lot of guys, but I think he's got to decide how much does he still like going down to light heavyweight at this juncture. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that there's, there should be any talk of, oh, Bader's washed up all of a sudden. Like, no, no, no. Listen, guys, this is just Nemkov is that good, right? Um, and, you know, you mentioned like Minikov and Johnson. Like, those are really the only the only realistic options at heavyweight right now I, I, that I can think of, right? So, I mean, obviously Moldovsky has been slotted in there now after this past weekend, um, looked very good, but still seems a bit too soon there. Um, so, I mean, Bader could even, you know, take this immediate rematch, let things shake out at heavyweight because it's like, all right, you know, you do look at Minikov and Johnson, like you said, I would go Minikov as the guy. I mean, obviously Tim Johnson's got two good wins since losing to Minikov, but Minikov, you know, knocked him out pretty nicely. And then before that, Suffered his first career loss and, you know, a, another controversial one to Czech Congo. So uh, I think that if anybody would be waiting for him next at heavyweight, it would be Minikov. But, I mean, they could run back Minikov and Johnson now, give it... Because that was a short notice fight that first time, I, I, if I remember correctly. So they could do that um, with the full camp now and see how it shakes out. I, I would guess the same result, but I don't know. Tim Johnson's been spoiling lately. That Matrione win was a big one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's... There's definitely plenty of options still for Bader in terms of, you know, matchups that he hasn't had in either division. Like, yeah, we'll see. I mean, he, he could but, even he could even welcome Corey Anderson as his debut fight, even without being the champion. I don't know how likely that is, but that would be something that I think would be cool, especially if we're talking about the winner of Machida Davis, too. If they get the title shot, put Bader versus Anderson on Maybe not the same card because of the timing there, but there, see, there's options. <laughs> oh gosh, no, I can't, I can't do this <laughs> anymore. Too many. <laughs> I might have lost <laughs> track a second there. You are very right. Yep. Yes, he could definitely welcome Corey Anderson. <laughs> that is on the table if Bader wants it. 
My thing is, I think he's good friends with Corey. He told me that he's brought out Corey twice to train for Phil Davis. So, you know, they're mm. familiar with each other. I don't know how big they... I just don't know how much they yeah. want to get after it, even if they are... Um, unless there's the title on the line, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So we got to wait and see. But yes, that one is on the line too. All right, Drake. <laughs> Quick hits, because otherwise we're going to go way over my time and people don't love me <laughs> listening to me for hours like they do Helwani, okay? <laughs> All right, so fight announcements. There's been, you know, I, I lost count, but the fact is there's been a ton of them in the last seven days. We obviously talked about the big one last week with Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovic and John Jones, but a lot's been announced since then. Uh, the big one, uh, Amanda Nunes will be coming back in December to take on Megan Anderson, defend the featherweight championship. This fight, very crucial, the last fight on Megan Anderson's current UFC contract. That could play a factor. Um, you know what? Uh, I said it that this was the fight to make for Amanda. I didn't think that Aldana was there yet and Aspen Ladd the same at Bantamweight, so... Megan Anderson was kind of the last piece left on the board for Amanda. I like the fight. I think that Amanda's grappling is there. But the fact is, this is a big one for the future of the featherweight division. If Amanda can get one more win, she might close the show for 145 in the UFC. Yeah, no, very perfectly said there. And I mean, I would I would kind of hope that that would be the case. <laughs> I mean, just uh, they've really just pretended, you know, pretended this whole time since since they made the division that it's the division and that kind of thing. So um, it would just kind of be finally putting it out of his misery, which is really sad for, you know, those fighters like Megan and Felicia, who are really the only ones that it really affects. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, sure, you're getting people in the door like Norma Dumont and Zara Farron and everything, but we've, we've seen that they can go down. I mean, maybe not Zara, but Norma just got to fight at bantamweight, which, unsurprising, because that was her featherweight debut against Megan. Um, but yeah, man, I agree. For me, after Nunez and Spencer, it was either Megan or Aldana, but then they ended up doing Aldana versus Holm because they, you know, maybe wanted to get her some more exposure, give her a main event for the first time, uh, get her one more notable win to be able to sell that potential Nunez fight, which, you know, from a business standpoint, I get it that way, but I thought Aldana, you know, beating Vieira was enough. Um, that was a massive win, even though Vieira was coming off the layoff. Um, and then at featherweight, obviously, Megan was literally the only other option um, but she's got you know a winning streak going to so like all right she earned it but it's like well she would have got it anyway <laughs> so, um yeah that that was this was literally the only one um because th there's nothing at bantamweight at the moment um because i think even lad got injured and everything but yeah. aldana was ahead of her i think so uh yeah this this was the one yeah you know what? i've said this from the you know for years now megan and felicia they were kind of I hate to say it because they're clearly solid competitors and they're very dangerous in their own right, but they were there to bolster Cyborg and now Amanda. Like, literally everyone else is a Bantamweight who's gone to move up. Their whole thing with the Ultimate Fighter Featherweights, literally every girl who fought at Featherweight moved <laughs> down to Bantamweight. It's, it's uh, you know, it's depressing. Um, for yeah. these women who, you know, they sign their deals and look, you get to be in the UFC, they're given fights for sure. But to me, um, you know, it was very clear that they didn't feel like there was long term investment there for UFC. And I I've said this, like it's been set up in a way that if Amanda Nunes said tomorrow, I'm done moving up. 
uh, that's two easy contracts that you could cut and you're done. There's no big controversy. There's no, you know, uh, Felicia and Megan, I could see them being picked up very quickly by a PFL or a Bellator very quickly if they were ever let go. So, you know, I hate to say it, but you could just tell how it was structured marketing-wise. And um, look, that puts it on Megan Anderson. Save the featherweight division. That could happen, mm -hmm. you know. So I'm going to just leave it to you. Uh, final question. We've got to move on. If Amanda wins, is that the end for featherweight in UFC? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it it has to be, right? Because then it's like, what do you do? And, um, you know, just to touch on if Megan wins really quickly, but then then she can do the rematch with Amanda and then then what? Like, that's it. There's all there's all the, the we're coming to the end of the road. Right. With this this project, because this hasn't really ever been a real thing. And Megan and Felicia, they'll be better off in Bellator. I think that's got to be the place they'll go. PFL still seems a little bit up in the air, in my opinion. And um, I just think that they would be better off in Bellator that actually has really the division for featherweights in the world right now. And, you know, it sucks because, like, everybody wants to be in the UFC. And that was both of their goals. And they made it here. And it's great that they did get this chance. But it's like, it was not a long-term thing, obviously. Very obviously. The UFC never treated it as one. So they shouldn't. They shouldn't either. They still just have Amanda Nunes right there on the rankings by herself, man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's frustrating. I, I don't know what else to say about uh, that. Um, Brian That's Ortega versus Korean Zombie. Let's talk about two featherweights who might have a longer, you know, they have longer maps ahead of them. Uh, yeah. Real quick, I like the the grudge match aspect, just because, you know, when have you ever seen Korean Zombie in a grudge match? Um, yeah. Uh, I just, uh, I'll say this. The winner of this one could easily jump past the winner of Zabit and Yair when they finally make it for the next shot at uh, Volkanovski. And I'll say this. I do think that Volkanovski is going to try to push and get the winner of this one rather than fight uh, Max in the trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, uh, the, the thing is, like, yeah, sure, maybe the fans are still interested in that trilogy fight because, you know, they think Max should have won the last one and everything. But as the champion, I'd be like, man, I already, I already beat this guy twice, like, officially. Like, why, why do I got to fight him a third time? Come on, give me a break. Give me something new. And, um... You know, so, yeah, I, I get it from there. And honestly, you know, as good as the second fight was and everything, it's like, I don't want to see it again. I want to see him fight, you know, some new people, even as good as the fight is. I'm sure if if it's meant to happen again later and Max is still, you know, maybe the rightful champion or should be the rightful champion, then he'll earn it back. So just let things play out. I think that, you know, Zombie really is the the guy who should be getting the fight as is, but now we got to get this one out of the way. I mean, hopefully, knock on wood, this has kind of turned into the lightweight version of Habib and Tony, right? Like, these guys have been matched up a lot now. <laughs> it just cannot seem to happen. But, um, yeah, it's an absolutely ridiculous matchup, and it feels like Ortega has been out for a decade at this point, man. So, hopefully, yeah. we get to see him back soon. <laughs> Almost two years. But, um, Crazy. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm sorry, but I think Yair Zabit is featherweight. Uh, Tony Habib, unfortunately. That's a, yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I said this too. Like, <laughs> look, if if you're zombie, you beat Ortega. That 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 sells your title fight. And Ortega, if he beats the zombie, I mean, you could get Modelo to start running his commercial. He had a choice, <laughs> and people would be back on the train. That thing hasn't aired in like over a year, and people still <laughs> quote it on Twitter anytime there's anything Ortega related. That's how popular he is. So yeah, it would be very easy to slot him in for a title fight. Um, and yet, like, 
Zabit Yair just needs to happen for us to have a debate because right now every mm-hmm. time it gets pushed back, it just makes the case for Zombie and Ortega better. So yeah, there we go. Zabit just needs a five round fight in general. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Anderson Silva possibly calling it a night on Halloween against Uriah Hall. Stylistically, this is a fun fight. The only caveat for me, which version of each guy shows up? Because we know Silva, he's, look, the injuries have added up. His age is what it is. He's still as smart as ever. It's about executing it. And Uriah Hall, you know, look, he's looked better as of late. But, um, you know, this is another one. It's like, hey, you know, against Anderson, you know, can you be that guy that, you know, we're, we're always looking forward to and we get excited that we might see. So this is a fun fight, but obviously it's about the timing. Where are they at? personally going into this one and on a personal note oh boy i don't know if i'm emotionally ready to say goodbye to anderson it's kind of <laughs> like i don't know man that's like the goat to me so I, I feel a lot of nostalgia just talking about this <laughs> so this is uh this is not the birthday present that i expected to be getting but uh here we are <laughs> so, oh, happy early birthday. <laughs> uh, yeah that's uh that's the the birthday main event for me uh, on the 31st there, and what a what a what a scary Halloween matchup it is, and unexpected. <laughs> Honestly, man, you it's funny because when you, you you look back at Tough 17, right? When Uriah Hall was coming up and looking as like this next big thing, like all the hype was on this guy. He looked incredible on the show, and obviously, you know, fell short to Kelvin Gastelum, who proved to be the better guy just throughout his career so far. Um, they were comparing him to Anderson Silva, so now we're we're getting it way way farther down the line than we thought we would ever possibly, because you know that if Uriah Hall would have won the tough, wouldn't would have won tough, they would have fast tracked him pretty quickly, um, and you know that probably still wouldn't have worked out, but that was, you could just tell that that was kind of the idea and the vibe we were getting there. So now we're getting it here, and man, you know I would have been excited for that back at the time, you know, if and if Uriah could have pulled off a streak to get there and Silva was still champ or, you know, if he just lost and they made it happen or whatever. But now we have it so many years later, about seven or so years later. And we've seen all that we've seen since then. Um, I, I really don't care for it. I don't think that it's going to be an exciting fight. I think they'll probably, you know, they're going to look for the counters. It's just going to be one of those staring matches kind of for the most part, which I hope it's not, um, you know, Uriah Hall, he's, He's going to be, I think, realize who he's standing against. You know, that's kind of the thing that you get with Anderson Silva at this point is like the Anderson Silva effect where he's been able to kind of hang in there more with these guys than he should at this stage in his career because he's Anderson Silva. Like for for Cormier and Brunson and Adesanya, those all should not have gone to decision. Right. But because he's Anderson Silva, these guys were a little bit more hesitant and like not scared, but they really wanted to be careful because you know what this guy is capable of, even though he's older now, it just kind of puts that that extra fear into the back of the mind, even if that's not the right word you want to use. I'm sure that Uriah Hall is going to feel that a little bit, even though he's on a good two-fight winning streak here. Um, you know, crazy uh, competitive fight there against Antonio Carlos Jr. I mean, that was a fun back and forth when it was a split decision. But then the Bevon Lewis win before that, where, you know, he was losing that fight pretty clearly and just out of nowhere kind of got the knockout. So he's still always dangerous. And I think that, you know, Uriah is probably going to get the win here. I just don't know how exciting it's going to be. 
Hopefully good, though. <laughs> Hopefully, of course. <laughs> I need Spider yeah. to go out on top. It's been hard for years. Yeah, he, needs yeah. to, he needs that <laughs> legend treatment. He needs not a title shot, but, you know, uh, I, I'll say this. It's very hard that, you know, he doesn't get the big ovation that he deserves, you know, walking out because, mm. you know, you could have put him on a pay-per-view in Rio and, oh, my gosh, it would have been would have been like that carnival man that would have been amazing but (sighs) it just wasn't meant to be for the spider um yeah you know uriah hall's uh look there's a lot of reasons why he should get the win and it really uh, an upset for silva depends on him finding the magic for one last night you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting with everything else going on uh darren till versus jack hermanson let me double check the date on this one december 5th middleweight division i thought that uh jack would probably get the um the Derek brunson fight i was a little surprised but i think that this speaks to the uh the popularity and the just the push that they still have and believe in for uh darren till going in the middleweight division uh do you have anything to add on that um, I mean, I like the matchup. I think it's a very interesting stylistic matchup. Um, oh, yeah. you know, I'm not sure how I, how I would have put things at middleweight in terms of slotting people into where, but Jack Hermanson, you know, even though we've seen him, you know, get these crazy wins that he's been getting, like the, the Jacare one, and I mean, the, the Kelvin one, it's like, I still feel like we're underestimating this guy where it's like, he's really good in a lot of areas, you know, and especially his ground game is very underrated, obviously hanging with Jacare and then, you know, submitting Kelvin as quickly as he did, but um, his striking's not bad either. So it's like this guy is, he's perpetually been slept on. And I mean, I'm sure I guarantee people are going to do it again against Till, but like he could very well finish Till on the feet or on the ground. So I'm very excited for this. Actually, I like it a lot better than the Brunson fight. Um, just because, you know, people are going to, underestimate Hermanson once again like I don't know what he's got to do to finally be the the favorite but I know he's not gonna be right am I wrong here (laughs) no I don't think you are I think that is very clear you know so oh boy no I I think that um I I think it's fun I think once again um I'd assume that this sets it up for uh Yol Romero and Derek but yeah I think this is a big one for both of them if you're Darren this keeps you in the hunt i think if you're jack this gets you right back to where you were when you fought jared Cannonier last year mm-hmm. so i think that this is a big fight for the middleweight division and um yeah i think that for darren you know you're up against guys like robert and up against kelvin who's coming off the fight of the year he is now firmly the a side going into this and i think that's going to be something and you know how does he take the spotlight with Jack. I think that'll be an interesting one. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the last one, um, just more, you know, technically coming up right very soon, Bellator. So we know about Davis Machida on September 11th, and I believe it's Archuleta Mix that's on the 12th, so a Friday, Saturday doubleheader. But they essentially, you know, when it rains, it pours. They announced, you know, returns of guys like Raymond Daniels. And then the big ones at Featherweight and Bantamweight, the debuts for Kadzingano and Liz Carmuch. Um, Drake, doubleheader, Bellator, a lot of names like this. I think this is a great sign. Uh, this to me says that, hey, we are rolling and 
we are getting everybody back on the board. We're not waiting for anybody at this point anymore. And I just really like that. I think that bodes well to get the excitement back. I think to me, after this, the only two dominoes left to fall are the Featherweight Grand Prix and the Women's Flyweight Championship back. But besides that, all the pieces seem to have lined back up already from what we've heard. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's a very good sign. And, you know, especially getting these fighters to debut and everything. Obviously, you know, Liz had kind of hers lined up, you know, before things started to happen. Kat never got hers officially. Um, but, yeah, it's awesome to see Archuleta versus Mix. Man, that is one hell of a matchup. Um, I, I can't wait to see that. And just, you know, all these guys getting the chance to come back and, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they sort out the uh, the, the featherweight Grand Prix, but we got to get back on that too. But you know, with the double header right right there, um, with the, the eleven and twelve dates, uh, gonna be good. It's always nice to see. You know, Bellator goes all out for those, and it looks like they're doing you know pretty similar thing here, which is uh, definitely a good sign for you know getting getting that momentum back on track that they had because they were really rolling. People forget about um, you know before the pandemic happened, which sucks that you know kind of ruined everything for everybody, but. That's life. <laughs> man, uh, dude, those cards coming up before the pandemic hit, they were stacking uh, them up, man. Freaking yeah. the June card, the May card. It was quite a show. Uh, let me ask you. So we heard from Coker that Musasi is going to get his, uh, his, his travel cleared up. When do you think we'll see uh, Musasi versus Lima, middleweight championship? Um, let's see. I'm going to assume... I'm going to assume that they will announce that or work something out for October, uh, maybe uh, late, late September, maybe, maybe like early November ish, early November. Maybe. Okay. Okay. You I just know, got a feeling. <laughs> they do, are you hiding out on us? Drake Helwani? No, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry. Drake, Drake Okamoto. Okamoto tends yeah. to be the guy who gets those quicker. Yeah, um, true. <laughs> no, but um, if you're going to do that, I'm sorry, but you need somebody. You need, uh, if it's not a Lima, you need to get a uh, Pitbull back in there in October. Yep, I don't, yep. anything else. I think that is like, I'm concerned because those are probably the two biggest stars left after Bader in the promotion. Yeah, so. well, that's the thing. You mentioned Alima. Um, you know, her obvious next contender is Juliana Velasquez, who, you know, is also needs to get her travel stuff figured out because she's in Brazil. And um, Alima's, you know, said she's willing to wait for her and will would take, you know, she wants to have a Bantamweight division creation so she can have that, you know, double champ potential. But um, don't know how likely that's going to happen. But she said that she's willing to do like a fight in the meantime. So, I mean, maybe they could just make something up for her just to do, whether it's not a title fight or if it is. But just um, a, yeah, they just need a, a random ban- Bantamweight fight. Yep. Yep. Let's I mean, do it. <laughs> we'll see. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I want my dominoes to fall again. You know, I kind of want yeah. these guys and girls back in action. So. All right, so there we have it. Uh, the last one this Saturday, UFC Vegas 8, the light heavyweight division. This is a big fight when you think about it. Like in the next month, we're going to have a lot of fights at 205 that have major implications. Anthony Smith, Alexander Rakich this Saturday. Um, you know what, uh, Drake, to go back for a minute. Smith took this fight not long after that Glover fight. Do you think he is in any way compromised, a little more vulnerable going into this one? Uh, 
I mean, it's kind of hard to say no, right? Because that was, man, he really got beat down a bit in that one, which was was really kind of crazy to see it all unfold the way that it did. Um, you know, going back to that one, I feel like everyone's forgotten about it now because it was way back in May, but um, <laughs> it feels like way long ago because of, you know, the pandemic and all that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, I think that Anthony Smith knows what he's doing and, you know, how how he kind of feels at this point and everything. He's had so many fights, um, serious veteran of the sport. So if he's, you know, feeling capable enough to get back in there and take this, especially against somebody like Wreckage, who is, uh, you know, no easy out, especially to try and rebound off of that tough loss to Glover. Um, you know, I think that he, uh, he probably knows what he's doing. <laughs> I don't think he would have taken this fight if it seemed like he couldn't go out there, take some good hits, and win. Um, only time will tell, because obviously, um, you know, look, that was just a tough, tough fight. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be something. I think that that's just going to be one, um, how we do it. I'll say this stylistically, Rakic, he reminds me a bit of Nemkov. And I think that that ability to push forward and maybe try to take him down, that could pose a lot of problems for a guy like Smith. Um, Smith is very good, very powerful. My thing is, I think that um, if there's anything to take from the Glover fight, a little more shot selection, just slow it, pace himself a little bit more. And there's no reason why he can't get the job done against Rakic. This is a very even mm-hmm. fight. They both got a lot of weapons and stopping power between them. But I do believe, you know, a, a little more defensive Anthony Smith gets it done very, you know, most times than not against a Rakic. I think that he's just got that experience to his credit. Rakic has got a lot of weapons. He's definitely not an easy out for anybody. I think that prior to the controversial loss to Uzdemir, he was probably knocking on the door for a fight like this anyway. So... Yeah, I think that it's gonna come together. It's a fun fight. Stylistically, it's a very fun fight. But um, oh man, Rakich, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go Rakich <laughs> unanimous decision. Wow. Okay. I mean, yeah, it, it is it is a really good fight. I'm very excited when I saw that. I was like, oh wow. Okay, we're getting this one all of a sudden. And five rounds for Rakich. That's a big deal for him. You know, in his just you know career development and everything. Um and. Yeah, it's it's funny. You look back at that Glover fight with Anthony Smith and everything. You know, obviously he got completely beat down as the fight went on. But, you know, early on, he was looking very sharp. I was very impressed with Anthony. And I think that um, he won the first round, if I'm remembering, you know, how the rounds played out correctly and when everything started to go downhill, which was in the second round, I think, when Glover hurt him. And, you know, probably should have finished him there, but we went an extra three almost. Um but Anthony Smith was looking very sharp on the feet, and he just, you know, uh, kind of slowly diminished. And if he can clean that up and just be a little bit more conservative or, you know, maybe it was just taking that that damage from Glover with the knockdown that really drained him right there, um, then he should be able to be fine here. But, of course, Rakage is probably, you know, he's got more weapons and tools on the feet to hurt Anthony Smith, which is a scary concept as well. Uh, so it's like, man, it's kind of hard to picture exactly how this will play out. But from and then you look at the experience, like you said, it's much in favor of Anthony Smith. Uh, but 
geez, the miles are also on Smith in that case too. So it's like, <laughs> it's really, it swings back and forth with how you can look at this one. Um, and I mean, yeah, Alexander Rackage has proven to be a nasty finisher in his own right. I mean, that Jimmy Manaway head kick was something to behold. Um, it's tough. Um, I really don't know. I'm, what does your heart tell you, Drake? <laughs> what does my heart tell? My heart tells me. Uh, my heart tells me kind of go to Lionheart because come on, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think that there, there's just going to be too much time. I don't think we've seen even in that that Uzdemir fight. You know, Rackage maybe slowed down a little bit as it went on, but Anthony Smith's. It, it's tough, man. This is a really toss-up for me. I'm going to go. If I'm, I'm going to say Anthony Smith will pull it off, experience maybe he'll find a late submission. Uh, like against Gustafson. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll trust in Lionheart. <laughs> All right, so there we have it. We are split. Mr. Drake has uh, Anthony Smith. I'll be going with Alexander Rakic. Oh, boy. This is going to be a big <laughs> it's a one. a doozy. <laughs> uh, this could go either way. So, uh, I don't know. There we have it. I don't think there's much more to add. Um, that's it for this week's show. Next week, we're already back. Drake, can you believe we're already knocking on the door of September? I can't, man. Oh, no, no, I cannot. This, it's really, uh, yeah, came out of nowhere. <laughs> this year has just been one big trip. <laughs> Pan- Pan- pandemic timing, man. But yeah, uh, next week we'll be back for UFC Vegas 9. Alistair Overeem taking on Augusto Sakai in the heavyweight division. Uh, Drake, where can fans find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, primarily a Twitter guy, but, uh, you know, I got Instagram too. So that's at Drake Riggs underscore. Then, you know, you can also follow my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Drake Riggs. Uh, But, you know, everything goes on the Twitter anyway. So that's the best place at Drake Riggs underscore, you know, always putting out everything there. And, you know, please, uh, if you have not seen that Megumi Fuji piece, please check it out because uh, that was a big one for me. So, yeah. No, really, one of the great profiles on a uh, real MMA pioneer. I mean, she was essentially the Chris Cyborg and the Ronda Rousey of the time before social media. Just amazing win streak. Just, you know, built her name overseas in Japan and was operating the same time as Fedor and guys like that. And, you know, just really, you know, she set the bar for women's MMA in the lighter weight classes before, you know, the Gina Caranos and the Chris Cyborgs made it really cool over here in the U.S. So, yeah, look, uh, Drake Riggs spoke with just about everybody from, you know, the current, you know, founder of Ryzen and Pride, Saki Kibara. He talked to former champs Josh Barnett, current legends Chris Cyborg, and Megumi Fuji herself. So, really, mm-hmm. just, it has the... MMA Daily stamp of approval. Definitely uh-huh. look out for that. So, um, Drake, thank you for coming on the show. Guys, remember you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. And we'll be back next week.